Welcome to Sticks and Taps, where the conversation is hockey and the keg is always cold. The games will be on soon, so let's step up to the bar, grab a pint, get into it. Your host, Paul Cuthbert and Liam Maguire. Slanta, fellas, and don't forget to pay your tabs. Well, good day, good evening, good evening, good morning, good day, whatever time it is you're listening to us. Welcome to Sticks and Taps. With yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, and thank you there, Seamus, for the introduction. I've got enough shillings here to take care of the tab. Don't you worry about it. And uh, <laughs> sitting next to me here uh, on the stool next to the bar here, my good friend, Mr. Liam McGuire. Liam, how are you, sir? Feel like drinking 100. <laughs> You're a little upset with that result in Boston last night, huh? Oh, man. Well, it's funny. You know, I did your other hit there for you last night, talking uh, primarily Montreal-Boston and their 750th meeting in NHL history since 1924. And uh, <laughs> not thinking, you know, I mean, the rivalry is much like it was, and then uh, Chair pretty much decapitates Gallagher. <laughs> what the hell is going on? And, you know, he's, he's, he's telling the ref, oh, no, he faked it, he faked it. <laughs> he faked oh it. God. Yeah, he faked it. Yeah. I don't know, boy. That's... uh. Yeah, the Habs got um, they got run out of the rink last night. You know, they were actually as good or better, if anybody watched the game, they were as good or better than Boston for probably a good chunk of the first and a good start of the uh, good first 10, 10, 12 minutes or so of the second until the Bruins made it 2-0. Uh, Montreal came right back on that one. But, um, uh, yeah, Bruins full measure for the win. They were the better team. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Over 60 minutes going away, they were the better team. It's just they make less mistakes, and they're able to recover from them better. And Montreal doesn't have a Pasternak in their lineup. That's just the bottom line, you know. I mean, and it's just easy. It's another example, right, that you just don't need to have necessarily a first overall draft to uh, to be great. I mean, they were Stanley Cup finalists last year. Cup winner, uh, finalists in 2013, Cup winners 2011, and boy, oh boy, if uh, if you think they're going down easy in the East this year, uh, Washington, Tampa Bay, and whoever else, notwithstanding, good luck because that Bruin team is, and and you know, interesting stat last night, Paulie. It's this is one of those ones that's kind of hard to stay on top of where everybody sits in terms of man games lost. They're third. Wow. The Bruins are third. They've lost over 300 man games this year, and they rarely miss a beat. I think they went four games without a win, maybe around late November or something, and a couple of other smaller streaks. And otherwise, they just keep on winning. And you know what? They'll play it any way you want. Like, you look at a guy like Charlie McAvoy or, or uh, I mean, forget about just Chara, but, I mean, they they – uh, Marshawn, who fought Petrie last night. Like, you think coming out of the... Well, it wasn't even a fight. But you think of that... that uh, uh, Petrie gives him a great hit behind the net. They come around the front. They've exchanged some stick work. Petrie gives him one more. Marshawn turns around. Now, you picture your Brad Marshawn, okay? You're five foot F all, right? And you're looking at Petrie, and you're going, what the... This guy can't lick a postage stamp? <laughs> <laughs> what am I afraid of? He won't drop the gloves to go to the can. I'm going to give this guy a shot in the head. And and so they have a little engagement or whatever. It was really Marchand who got off quick. Petrie kind of floated a right hand in there, sort of just to let him know he's there. And they went down into the Python rollover takeover. But, I mean, you know, <laughs> what do they got to worry about? What do you got to worry about? <laughs> I mean, seriously, what do you got to worry about on Montreal? And then they say Tatar... Tatar left the game last night with his thumb in a sling or bandaged up or something. Of course, why not? They're getting the <laughs> crap just beat right out of them. Anyways, it's uh Well you were saying last, you were saying last night the Habs just, you know, they don't have that, you know, that tough kind of chemistry on the team and they got nothing. They got know. nothing. They got nobody <laughs> who wants to know. I mean, you got a couple guys, you know, they got Domi, maybe. He hasn't fought since Sabering from Ottawa there, tuned him up. And uh you know, you got Weber, who's, uh, I mean, there's nobody who'll look more intimidating than Shea Weber. And we're not going to see him now, arguably, maybe the rest of the year, who knows. Yeah. But even when he was in the lineup, and look at, don't get me wrong, I'm a Weber fan. I mean, um, his his play internationally is beyond reproach. And I think in his prime in Nashville, when he was willing to engage a little bit more. And I'll tell you what, from a hockey history perspective, I can go down the line. 
we want to go back in the day when you know the old story when uh when a rusher becomes uh an usher or no when a crusher becomes a rusher he soon becomes an usher and that's kind of the way Stan Jonathan went out one of the greatest uh, Bruin uh, that that espoused that role ever there was another guy one of only four guys in NHL history to record 50 goals or 200 penalty minutes in the same year Kevin Stevens with the Pittsburgh Penguins he was one of them Gary Roberts Brendan Shanahan and Keith Tuchuk are the others and when when you change that style when you're not willing to engage anymore physically and I'm not now I am talking specifically about fighting okay bleeding hearts left wingers sorry uh, that's what I'm talking about like occasionally you got to want to get it on and Shay doesn't want to get it on anymore he 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 doesn't want to know I mean you'd have to send in a written invitation and triplicate to get him to get his gloves off and 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 it's a shame I you know, anyways Polly I'm all over the map here but no, talking but- about last night's game and, yeah, but uh, on that note, Liam, the, the the thing about Chara and the in the in the cross check on Gallagher last night and stuff. I mean, it was just basically like you know it was let to be. You know, I mean that was that's pretty. Well, coincidental minors. <laughs> I mean, but I mean nothing from the coincidental minors. I mean, it was coincidental minors. Unbelievable. But I'm just saying it didn't really it didn't really you know the, the game didn't turn on that in any way. You know what I'm saying? You didn't you didn't get what happened between uh, you know Calgary and, and Edmonton there? You know what I'm saying? Which is kind of surprising. That's my point. That's my yeah. point. I'll tell you right now, if I was coaching, well, first thing, if I was running a team, I would have at least one nuclear deterrent. I don't give a shit that it's 2020. I would have somebody out there that that would that would be willing to engage. And I would say, I would go to him before. I absolutely be flaunting the premise of the game of hockey itself, and I am saying this publicly right now, I would go to my guy and I would say, you are going to earn a hell of a bonus tonight, my friend, because you're going to Big Z. Well, yeah, I want to fight him anyway because he's 42 and I've seen his last two or three fights and he is nowhere (laughs) near the guy he was. That's right, pal. That's right. Every time you get him in a five-minute major tonight, it's 10,000 cash in your pocket tonight. They can't do well, that. I, I, Who's going to do that? Yeah, I'm doing it. I'm doing I know it. you're doing if it. If I'm owning the team, I'm goddamn well doing it. I'm telling you right now. Sick of the bullshit. Sick of it. Sick of pussyfooting around. I'm telling you right now, I'm paying my guy 10 grand. As soon as Chera comes out of the box, I'm going him again. I'm going him again. And you know what? If you t- if you happen to take 2, 5, and 10, and that costs you 17 minutes, don't you worry, because I got another 10 large for you, baby. You just earned yourself 20. And if you get them a third time, and I don't care if you got to chase them right out to the, to, the, to the Black Rose, one of the greatest Irish bars in the United States of America, I'll, I'll pay you a third 10K cash. And you know what? Buckle up, because we're just going to keep doing it. Do the Habs and that's that what I would of, do. Do the Habs have that kind of money, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do. You know why? Because <laughs> they're owned by Molson's, and I'm their biggest friggin' customer. There you go. <laughs> so, you send yourself an email. A, send yourself an email they, up they, there. <laughs> shoot, it's shoot a joke, Polly. Because they got coincidental miners last night for that. Yeah. Coincidental miners. You know what Chair is going to get? He's going to get uh, the $5,000 fine, if that, from the league, from George Peros. <laughs> <laughs> George Peros. Oh my God. Oh, let's all genuflect to George Peros because he's got a, a university degree from uh, wherever, you know. And uh he's yes, uh, he's very intelligent and he can uh with his consortium of uh, cohorts can sit down and, and actively disseminate on the rights and wrongs on the ice in the National Hockey League. George Peros will We'll fix everything. I sent some sarcasm there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Holy You're not- <laughs> I'm, I'm not waiting for the toast. I'm pouring a whiskey right now. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Get it in you. <laughs> hey, listen. The Bruins are full measure for that win last night, and there's a strong, strong likelihood they're going right back to the Stanley Cup Finals. And you know what? They won that Stanley Cup with Pete Chiarelli as GM. Right, Polly? Yep. And then a couple years later, they gas him, you know? They gas him, and he goes to Edmonton, 
and does what he does there. And Don Sweeney steps in. And did they miss a beat? No. You know why? What did you and I talk about last night on the air? We talked about an identity. There's an identity in Boston. Yep. There is no identity in Montreal anymore. There isn't. There was for decades. For decades. Even when they weren't winning Stanley Cups, there was an identity. And you know what? That starts at the top. I think Mark Bergevin is a smart hockey man. This guy played over a 1,000 games in the NHL. He was assistant GM in Chicago when they won a Stanley Cup. He is not a stupid man. But this is year number eight. You're about to miss the playoffs for the fourth time in five years. This team does not have an identity. That is on you. You do not, in my opinion, earn the right to hang around and try and develop Cole Caulfield or Romanov from Russia, or or anybody else, Colt uh, Konami, if you get him back up and his head isn't absolutely, totally gone, whatever, whatever. You do not earn that right. You, it's time to go. It's time to go. If Stanley Cup winners, what about Pittsburgh, Polly? Would they do it, Ray Shiro? Yep. They moved him along, and they brought in a fossil. We all thought Jim Rutherford was a fossil. And what has he done there? He hasn't missed a beat and he's got balls and he makes moves to make that team better and he says screw the draft I've got Malkin and Crosby with maybe two to three years left if they stay healthy so I go and get Jason Zucker because he's going to automatically be in my top six six even when Gunsel comes back no hesitation pulls the trigger says screw you everybody we're going out on our shield and that's the way you run a team. And that's the way you should coach a team. What did Tortorella do last year after, after that first intermission against Tampa Bay? What are you afraid of? Yeah. They've got nothing. Let's go out there and absolutely bust these guys in the chops. Yep. And you still can win in the NHL today by having men in your lineup willing to do that, by having coaches willing to coach that, and by having GMs with the balls to be willing to put a team together that has those components. And Montreal do not. They've got a bunch of nice second-line and third-line hockey players. They've got no identity. And, and, and that was... That, oh I'll tell you, it is <laughs> tough. It is tough to watch, man. It is tough to watch. I, I am, you know... Nowhere near as upset as I used to get in the eighties. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that, Liam. <laughs> no, no, you didn't. You didn't want to see me after the eighties. Look, a cup. Oh, I can imagine, my when, friend. Go ahead. No, nah, I ahead, just said, ahead. look. I mean, go ahead, buddy. No, nah, you just. I mean. Like I said, that was, you know, I brought up last night in the other show, and, then, and you know, that's the big thing. I mean, and, and it's just a, a great point you bring up there about Pittsburgh's there. And you, you look at Baruby and St. Louis and what they did last year. I mean, that's, you know, that's a guy coming in there last year and, and an old-school kind of guy and just a, you know, a, a heart-and-soul kind of guy and just knows how to play the game. What he did with that team, how he turned it around, and that's how St. Louis gets to the end in Game 7 last year and beats Boston, I mean, but they just play just phenomenal all around, um, team orientated, uh, through the wall for each other kind of hockey, you know. And and Torts almost pulled it off against Boston last year too, man. They almost did it, and they were in every game yep. pretty much. Uh, you know, I can't remember if there was a blowout or two during the series against Boston, but look what they. I mean, what they did to Tampa last year. You talk about a team. That, you know, as far as identity and everything with Big Star, Big, you know, uh, Coop's done such a great down there as a coach. And then the GM when Irisman was there and everything else. And they built this thing around Stamkos and and, um, and, and and where they got to. And then just to get wiped off the floor by just all-time yeah. <clears throat> go-through-the-wall hockey and obviously some great goaltending. And, and, For sure. And, and those are the teams that are going to win it. I mean, look look what Vegas did, you know, two, three years ago, what I'm saying. You know, getting there against the Capitals. And they yeah, and look and look at their D. Look at the yeah. defense they put together. They were a take-no-prisoners defense. They had a fourth line that, that were absolutely murderous. And and they got they got performances from guys that probably had a chip on their shoulders, like your Carlsons and whatnot, that just said, oh, yeah, we're a bunch of cast-offs, are we? 
And and it's and look, it's it's tough to get back. And I, I still maintain they made a massive mistake letting Gallant go. That's the whole other story. That's, yeah. You know, but that's that's ridiculous. Now they're you know it's just so freaking tough to get back. But Liam, but the maybe, end, maybe, they, but, Liam but Liam, right there, maybe you know this whole thing with Gallant and and the team right now, and a lot of stuff that me and you talk about in terms of uh, you know where the league's at and stuff. It's about the look, or it's about the feel, or it's about the image, or or how they want to carry themselves or whatever. I mean, these these kind of like these safety moves or these safety fires that they're making of, uh, you know, these decisions that they're making these teams. I mean, like I said, come on, are you kidding me? What he done, what he did for that organization, uh, you know, it's unheard of getting a, yeah. an expansion team into a championship in any sport. And you for see sure. some of the for other sure. moves too. Uh, you know, I like I couldn't believe, I mean, I think this started with uh, Boudreaux a few years ago. You remember when he gets fired from the Caps? Yeah. Then he gets hired yep. like two weeks later from Anaheim. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later after that job's done, he gets picked up by Minnesota. And that guy hasn't done anything, you know, as far as, you know, changing the image of any of those teams one way or the other or getting them to any kind of champions or anything like that. But I'm just saying, like, the whole thing, like I said, the Bruins, everything. You know, I'd love to get – we won't get into it today. We won't have the time, but I'd love to – I mean, even Bruce Cassidy. You know, God, if you're not a Boston fan or if you're not a, a diehard fan of the, the history of the team like me, I said, who the heck is Bruce Cassidy? And, and the fact that he's come in here and managed this team and, and, and get them to the finals last year, and he's got them firing again, too, this year as well, too. It's like all that. But I guess – I imagine that's it, – it's got to come from the kind of player that Cassidy was, too. Is that correct? Well, uh, you know, Butch is a very dear friend of mine. I've known him for years, and obviously he's an Ottawa guy, right? So, I, I mean, he, he won a Memorial Cup with the 67s in 84, and he hurt his knee playing ball hockey. Is the only reason he didn't have a real solid, lengthy NHL career. He was great offensively. Uh, he certainly was was tough enough. He was never a fighter per se, but he, he was more than, not an overly big guy, but he, he was more than capable of handling himself. He would have had a a real solid career. Even he got a bunch of cups of coffee in Chicago and just was never able to reconstruct the knee properly enough to where he could get back to the level where I think he would have been. And as a coach, he got screwed by Yager in Washington. Look, that's the bottom line. Anybody who's done any investigating in that knows that Yeremy Yager in Washington, who was in about a eight year pout because his model girlfriend left him, whatever the hell happened. <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, you know, he screwed he screwed Butch in, in Washington. What did Butch do? He could have gone home and cried a river. Instead, he just rolled up his sleeves and went right back down to the lowest levels and coached his way back up. And I'm thrilled for him. You know, uh, I'm a half fan. doesn't matter. I love Butch, and I, I think he's done fantastic in Boston. And, and I'm thrilled for him. And, and he, he, is, he is a guy, I'll tell you, he was, you know, he, this is a guy who was a career coach in the East Coast Hockey League. You know, and down there going to finals and uh, coaching all-star games, everything else. You look at his record. Everywhere he's gone, he's been successful. So so this is uh, – uh, he's he's solid all day. And, look, you, you know, Bruce Boudreaux, I mean, that's, there's no there's no blueprint, right? Like, you can't open the book and go to Chapter 4, Subsection 2 and become a great coach. And and I, I, I get that. But I, I guess my point in all that and my rant earlier as I teed off on that was just uh, – and I'm calm now – is is just uh <laughs> don't come down I, on my account brother <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm okay now i got going there but you know what the thing is is you need to establish an identity like you you need to establish an identity still and there's there, there's still a way to put a team together even though it's 2020 and times have changed if you look at who's winning cups and you look at the makeup uh, how uh, who's winning cups and notwithstanding the fact that you're able to draft a Crosby and a Malkin, or you're able to draft draft an Ovechkin, or you know, <clears throat> notwithstanding that, I mean, St. Louis, and even the teams that are primarily successful, I put Boston in that category. They have been on a ten-year run here, really, right? I mean, since they blew that three-nothing lead to the Flyers in 2010, the Bruins have been basically on a decade run of excellence here. That's included three trips to the finals and a cup. That's pretty damn good. Yep. By this decade's standards, so they 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 have a, an identity that is kind of really in keeping with the success that they've had previously. And yeah, they didn't win a cup since 1972. I get there was a hell of a drought there, but they had a bunch of times in the finals and a bunch of years where they were competitive. And 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 to me, that's all you can ask for, Paulie. You know, your Rangers went to the finals, you know, and the Islanders looked like they're getting back on track. And they're establishing an identity, I think, again. And, yeah, there may be Road Lundquist and a bunch of other parts. doesn't matter. The fact is, is that they, 
they created an identity for themselves, I believe. And Montreal is not. They have not. They, yep. they had a little bit of one in 2008 there at Ganey's last hurrah as GM. And, uh, you know, there were some, there was, they've had a couple of, you know, 2014. I mean, Carey Price, just like Lundquist did for New York. I think Carey was on his way there and had a couple of years where he could have been the guy. Whether he ever gets them back there or not, I don't know. I don't think so. Over a full season, I, I don't think he, he's going to ever see the consistency again from him. For whatever reason. That's, again, a whole other story. But establish an identity as a coach. As a GM, that's your responsibility. You put the team together, get the right components. And and uh, Mark Bergeron has not done that. He has not. I do not believe he deserves the right to carry on as a general manager. And I cited you examples of teams that have changed their GMs and their coaches in much, much shorter periods of time. And these are Stanley Cup winning teams. Yeah. So So what the hell is giving Montreal the right to think that they could just roll merrily along here and use uh, use injuries as an excuse or whatever. And then when you see what happened last night, when you're if, if you can't win the game, you know, again, here I go, back to the old days, but it's Conn Smythe here. If you can't beat him in the alley, you're not going to beat him on the ice. Well, if you can't beat him on the ice, then you better damn well beat him in the alley. So at least go out on your shield. It can't just be Gallagher, who's five foot nothing, who's got the heart the size of the arena, is the only guy with balls out there doing anything. Mm -hmm. I would have... <laughs> I'll tell you, it's tough. It's tough to watch as anybody who uh, who uh, went out on the ice in any way, shape, or form at any level of hockey and tried to stick up for yourself and your teammates, That it's tough to watch. That was tough yeah. to watch last night. It really was. And I know uh, chair is a skyscraper. That's my point. goes back to what I said. I'd be addressing that. I would. But that's me. I'm old and I'm old school. So it, it, uh, and that's that's it, what we love about you, brother. Stuff. That's what we love about you. Old school is good school, buddy. It's all good. But uh, look, you know, you look at Lamorello, uh, the ownership here in the island. They've uh, brought a Lamorello here in, in, in Barry Trotz, and uh, the Islanders are no joke now. Uh, and they're proving it out on the ice, and they're proving it with, uh, you know, uh, they don't have the big name star. They lost the big name star. And they've got a bunch of uh, hard-working players out there. The fan base is totally behind them out here. And Trotz just has them. Man, he's just, you know, and I've always loved Trotz. You know, as a Ranger fan, seeing him oh. getting the job there, I was just like, oh, oh, look at this. They're getting Trotz. I mean, he's one of the guys I respect so much, my arch rival here. But it's it's the best thing that's happened to this franchise. Forget everything else. The the new arena, and they don't care about any of that stuff. And, and, and Lou and, and, and Barry only care about one thing. And that's getting past where they got past last year. You know, they sweep the pens. Uh, sure, surprisingly yeah. got swept by the Canes uh, on the other side. But I think they're better geared for it now going forward. And they're proving it, man. They're beating the teams. As far as the Rangers, man, Davidson comes in here, um, you know, learning all that stuff in St. Louis and Columbus. Uh, and he put some good teams together there. And those two franchises are benefiting from the work that he did. Uh, obviously, with Kakalina in there in uh, Columbus the last couple of years. And uh, Gordon finally gets the reins here from Sather. And, you know, we were talking about last night in our Rangers show last night about Coach Quinn here, second-year coach, but he's settling in pretty good. We watched the fact yeah. that, he, that they, as long as they didn't tail off into a, a terrible losing, uh, you know, tailspin like that. But he's kept the same lineup together, young team, worked in this goaltending situation, and, you know, they're nine points out of a wild-card uh, wild spot. But, you know, that's, again, in the big picture for the New York Rangers, that's not it. But it's funny, we were talking about it last night. This is the Rangers coach, man. Quinn Settling in there. He's um, I like him. Yeah, I like, I like him, we like him too, like man. Him. Yeah, I like him too, and I think he's going to be all right. And I think you know a couple more free agents, a couple more uh, things get turned around for him here too. A couple of spots get filled in, and uh, you know this guy's all right. He's 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 really kind of showing his way here in terms of again creating identity for this Ranger team because they are changing. Lundqvist is going to be going. There's going to be a couple more trades here, whether it's Kreider and Buchnevich and, and whatever it's going on. But, uh, you know, they gave Shishork in the uh, the number one spot. So as fans here, we're sitting back. And, you know, since 94, it's been a long time. We got there in 2014, obviously. But it's a big part of it. And I, I think that's been just uh, – I love this conversation we're having about it because, you know, as a hockey fan, and guys like us who grew up in the old days and stuff like that, you identified with teams – Coaches and back in the day, a lot of those coaches stayed with those teams for long times. Whether it was Scotty Bowman with the Cavs, whether it was um, uh, uh, Al Arbor with the Islanders, you know, and, yeah. and so on and yeah. so forth. That, that that's what was 
great about that, and it's it's hard to kind of find these days in the league because, and that's why I bring up the Boudreaux thing and the, and all the co- coaching swaps right now in the league, whether it's an image thing or it's just a change. You know, I sit back and I go, man, these guys are getting a year. I mean, what did Boudreaux get? He got two, three years in San Jose. He gets him to the finals, and he's gone. What yeah. is that? You know? Yeah. So. Well, that's, anyway, that's, that thing's just, that's a mini disaster there. But, you know, you talk about a GM who's hung around forever and another Ottawa guy and a family that I know a little bit. I'm very good friends with Doug's brother, Murray, and I've only met Doug a few times. But, uh, you know, how much how much rope does he have left? That's, you know, you can really you can go team by team and break it all down. But I just think, you know, and San Jose's been right there, right? I mean, they finally make a final, but they, for years, have been a perennial candidate and They've always kind of had a bit of an identity, though, I think. You know, they established a lot. I think when they picked up Thornton from the Bruins, they, they, they kind of switched gears and went to another level. I really believe that. And, you know, he went on to lead the league in scoring that year. It's the only time it's ever happened in the history of the Art Ross Trophy, which has been in existence since 1948 or since scoring uh, any scoring leader going back to 1918. So that's pretty significant. And, um, you know, but it's tough. Look, I know it's a brutally tough trophy to win, but you like to see – you're, it's the old story, right, Paulie? You're, you're selling hope or winning. It's yep. got to be one of two ways. And <laughs> exactly, if, man, if, if, if you're not winning, then you got to be selling hope. And right now in Montreal, I don't see that. I, I don't. I, I am as big a Hab fan as anybody on the planet Earth. And I do not have a lot of hope for this franchise going forward right now. I have way more questions than I do answers, and that's very rare for me. And I have a lot more concerns than I do actual accolades or expectations of things to be turned around. And, uh, you know, I wrote earlier this year in a blog when they were in the middle of that first eight game losing streak that they should consider letting Julian go. Um, it got panned pretty heavily by by the Hab faithful. And, and that's OK. I may have been a little outlandish with that one, but um, I do think, too, that he has to take... I say it all the time. Who's been? What's the best team in the last ten years? Obviously, Chicago Blackhawks. They won three cups, right? So, yep. I mean, you want to you want to throw Pittsburgh in there because they won in '09 and just missed, and they got the back to backs. Okay, yep. but you know what? Um, Joel Quenville, uh, Chicago wasn't his first stop. You know, he'd been around. Like Daryl Sutter in L.A. was not his first stop. He'd been around. Like sometimes coaches have to be moved and. And I know, you know, in Scotty's case in the day with Montreal, well, you know, at the end of the day, Scotty coached the Montreal Canadiens for uh, for eight years, right? He was there from, uh, he was there from 71 to 79, 71. Uh, they filed, they fired, uh, they pr- demoted Al McNeil after they won the cup in 71 and hired Scotty. And he left after 79. He was there eight years. That's it. You know, uh, Al Arbor was on the island a lot longer and, and then they, you know, then they, then they moved him. And uh, so, but again, that was then. It's, uh, it's tough, man. It's, it's tough. It's I just tough. didn't like that game last night, even though I knew Boston were overwhelming favorites. I wasn't shocked at the outcome, but I was just a little bit uh, more pissed off by how the game trans. Like Montreal had tons of chances. I don't know if you ended up actually watching the game closely or not, Polly, but the Habs dominated long stretches of that game. They just don't have anybody who can score. They don't have any natural scorers. You know, they have a bunch of real nice hockey players that can score in spurts at different times. They, some guys complement each other. Uh, that number one line, you know, uh, Deno, Tatar, and Gallagher is is a real solid line. Like, it's probably, I don't know, if you had to grade the lines in the NHL, it might be uh, just outside the top 10, right around 10th, 12th, maybe best line in NHL history. Or not history, but uh, best line in NHL right now. Well, big deal. <laughs> but they got, yeah, they're carrying the workload, though, man. You, you got, you, yeah. Gotta what be what else you out. got? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's. Uh, so, I mean, let's you know. No, I look. The, the Habs are just, uh, you know, it's a tough thing. I mean, like I said, I was talking about it last night, and this is the question we've had, and we've been talking about this in the last couple of shows because, like I said, they've just been. There's such a uh, phenomenal phenomenally huge entity when it comes to National Hockey League as far as that crest and the history and everything else, and it's just baffling yeah. uh, to see the continuous struggle. But let's move on because I want to talk about uh, the two guys that you told me you wanted to talk about, and let's talk about real quick the uh, the two numbers that went up, 22 and 33 in Vancouver last night, and let's get your take on the, yeah. the Sedins yeah. where they uh, – where they uh, 
where they fit or sit for you as far as, uh, you know, NHL history and, and what they've done and, and maybe uh, discuss a little uh, Hockey Hall of Fame as far as uh, where they might be headed one way or the other. Well, by, by 2020 standards, they're, they're locks for the Hall. There, there's no doubt about that. I mean, the Hall has been the Hall of, of uh, good to very good for decades now. So they, they more than qualify, and <clears throat> they'll get in for sure. I thought they had outstanding careers. <clears throat> I think, uh, you know, Brian Burke deserves a lot of credit for the, um, for the uh, moves that he made on draft day to get those guys back-to-back, two and three overall. Uh, just tremendous, tremendous bit of general managership. If, <laughs> I know there's yeah. no such word, but, but I mean, if, it, if anybody stole a page from Sam Pollock, it was Brian Burke on draft day to get the Sedins, and I thought that was outstanding. They stayed Vancouver their whole lives, uh, came in together, retired together, as you kind of would expect as twins. I know as close as they are, we all know the stories, but I just thought that ceremony last night was outstanding. Uh, Kevin Bieksa was was outstanding on the microphone. Uh, the old gr- crew they brought back, uh, um, the way they were received, the way the Sedin spoke. There, uh, uh, I love everything about it. You know, there's been a hundred at the end of this year, Paulie. There'll have been a hundred and sixty-two uh, retirement ceremonies in the NHL. Hundred and sixty-two, a hundred and twenty-eight numbers represented by 162 entities. Now, that includes things like the Minnesota Wild retiring number one for their fans, um, the the uh, Florida Panthers retiring number 93 for uh, Bill Torrey, you know, because they started 93, longtime Islander GM. So uh, the Las Vegas, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights retiring number 58 a couple of years ago, sadly, for the number of people that lost their lives in that incredible mass tragedy. And they retired number 58 because of that. And so 162, including the Sedins, and in uh, next week, in, that also includes Butch Goring. Uh, his number on Long Island going up as well, and John Tonelli. Both yep. of those are still happening in the next, time. I believe, ten. Yeah, absolutely, ten or twelve days. Now, did you hear this? I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know this to be one hundred percent true. Maybe you, you can shed some light on this. But I think John Tonelli is giving Anders Lee permission to wear twenty-seven. Yeah, that's a fact. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hey, that's pretty. I, I like. That's pretty cool. You know, it brings back the story about Gila Fleur. He wore number four through minor hockey and uh, and in junior for Bellevo. And when he came to the Habs, you know, there was talk of him keeping it. And Bellevo had just retired. And his number, of course, went to the rafters immediately. And they went and had a, you know, he had a conversation with Jean. And uh, and this is a well-documented story, at least out of here by Montreal standards. And Jean said, look, Guy, if you want my number, I'll give it to you. I really will, 100%. Wow. But my recommendation would be that you take another number and make it your own. And he said, I'll tell you why. When I came to the Montreal Canadiens, my number all through junior and minor hockey was number nine for the Rocket. And of course, he was still playing when I was there, and I couldn't get nine. And they said, well, Jean, you're going to take another number, and you're going to make it your own. Because Jean wore other numbers before four, before settling in on four. And and uh, when he signed his first contract in Montreal in 1953, he started wearing number four. And, and we all know the rest is history. But he had worn nine all the way through it. He said, I took another number and I made it my own. And that's what you should do, Guy. And anyway, I just thought when I read that about Anders Lee and John Tanelli, I thought, wow, that's pretty cool, man. That's pretty cool. And, um, you know, you don't hear that too much. It's very, very rare that's happened. I mean, Bobby Hull allowed his number nine to come out. And, and um, so Brett Hull could wear it in the old Winnipeg franchise, which had moved to Phoenix. And when Brett Hull Phoenix with the Coyotes... Uh, they they brought nine down and and he wore nine and then his last game wore sixteen and and but nine had come out of circulation which had, had been retired for his father as a member of the Winnipeg Jets so you know it's very rare that that's happened in NHL history but I thought that was pretty cool that uh, Tanelli was doing that I wouldn't expect any less from JT man I'm, you know look you're you're talking to a diehard New York Rangers fan right here okay I was you know born and raised on him okay yeah but when the Islanders were winning all those cups, okay, and breaking my heart in those early '80s, okay. Um, there's there's no other team that I have any more respect for as far as those players in terms of what they did, yeah, and how they played. How could you? Not? And obviously, yeah. you know, anybody listen to our show and the kind of game that we like, those Islanders just brought it all. I mean, big time. The, the, the Habs, 
passed the mantle on, and they ran with it, and they ran everybody through it until, you know, Wayne and Mark started taking over in Edmonton there for a little while. But I was, I, look, I've been lucky to work with Butch Goring over the last couple of years. I did a show with Butchie, and I just actually uh, got in touch with Butchie, too. He might be uh, getting a little, coming down and hanging out with me for the new show that we're doing. Um, and I was, I had the privilege of sitting and hanging out with him and Clark Gillies and, uh, you know, Bobby Nystrom and being on the phone in- interviews and producing the show with him and, and getting to, uh, you know, speak with Dave, Dave Longerman, Billy Smith and Brian Trache and, and John Tonelli. Some of the shows that I sat back and, and listened to, to Butch do with these guys and talk about those old stories and, and the players and, you know, the new ownership is kind of turning things around again, and, and, and these guys are finally getting the respect. Because, unfortunately, the ownership out here for the years, uh, you know, with the Islanders, because, you know, they were the jewel of Long Island out here. I mean, the, the, the championship, sure. yeah. everything, what they did out here, and the way they treated the alumni here uh, has just been disgraceful. And that's coming from me as, as a Ranger fan. I mean, um, you know, Butch Goring was a gentleman when I reached out to him to talk to him about doing some hockey together. And we sat down, and I was I was floored, you know. And he's, he's, he's such a good guy. And, um, you know, those those that whole crew, all those players. So hearing John Tonelli, and there's a, there's a really good, there's a really great connection now with the former players, the new ownership, and the, the new younger crew that they've got too. And this team, because I joke, I said this team is playing like the 83 Islanders. They're just, it's that whole kind of vibe, that feeling. And, the, and, and they're just, the, the fan base is on their shoulder. They're just carrying everything and they're plowing through it. So it's a, it's a great combination. Yeah. So that whole thing with uh, Tonelli giving the nod to, to, to Anders to do that is like, it just makes so much sense. And like I said, from a Ranger fan, it's great, it's healthy. Look, the Islanders being good out here make the Rangers be good. And then we want the rivalry back here. We want that level again. We want that passion. Uh, the Rangers and the Islander fans out here are just, you know, as far as passion and commitment to the team is huge. Um, the Islander fans have definitely gotten the short end of the stick over the years, and they've had a hard time filling that building over the years. But, again, there was, <coughs> there was, there was, no, there was a losing culture at the Coliseum. It was bad. You would go there, and you know the Canadians would come down, and and half the arena would be filled with Canadian fans. They would they would block out all the rooms in the Marriott Hotel, and they would just come down. I was at some of those games, and it was just Habs fans in the place. That's how bad it was on Long Island, and it started turning around again. So you know, just yeah. kind of just back into the the whole thing. The nod, you know, the Sedins getting their numbers raised. What an impact they had on their <laughs> franchise. Um, and, and, and the same thing's kind of going on here. And Tonelli and Butchie getting their numbers raised up. I, I, I plan to be there as a Ranger fan just, just to acknowledge the, uh, the heart and soul and, and the professionalism and, and the grit and, and the impact that they had, not only in that franchise for their fans and the team, but as a Long Islander here and a hockey guy, man, those days were just fantastic. And it's, it's starting to kind of turn that way a little bit here in New York. You know, the Islanders get in the new arena. Rangers are, you know, they're the billion-dollar franchise. And they're, but they're learning now that they kind of got to be that, that lunch pail type and they kind of bump and grind and, and get everything. And they've got to they've straighten their ass out here too. So it's all good stuff. So I, I can only imagine, um, you know, uh, you know the Sedin Twins getting their numbers raised in, in, in Vancouver too. And I'm sure me and you could do another show on the Vancouver franchise. But um, it's oh, great yeah. stuff. Well, it's great so, to see them turn it around. They're turning it around, and and that was that was a, a great ceremony last night, and well deserved. And seeing you know, we're seeing we're giving a shout out to Butchie and uh, and JT there. I want to also give a shout out to a very good friend of mine, Chris Phillips. He's getting his number retired here shortly as well in Ottawa, and and uh, current uh, games played record holder uh, with the team, first overall pick in '96, and played in Memorial Cup and uh, Team Canada World Junior Gold and the whole nine yards and he he married uh a girl from uh, what my hometown here basically uh well manatic i, I kind of grew up part of sort of three towns here in the area but manatic is a big part of my life he married a manatic girl and i know her family and and uh, they're a great couple great family with boys and in hockey and everything and uh so his number four is going to the rafters here in ottawa very shortly and and uh, joining uh, obviously Daniel Alfredson's number eleven and and Frank Finnegan's who's retired for his work as an ambassador and he was a member of the the old Ottawa Senators in the nineteen twenties and was with the team when they won the cup <clears throat> that last time they won it he actually scored in that final game against the Boston Bruins in nineteen twenty seven so they retired his number eight but um, Chris is going up too so I want to give him a shout out as well but uh, no look the Sedines. That's pretty unique, right? I mean, to have two guys come in, for Berkey to do what he did, they stay together, 
Now, they're not the only twins to play in NHL history, obviously, but <clears throat> to get uh, to get two guys to and to play at the level they did too. You know, over a thousand points, each one an Art Ross Trophy. Uh, they won a gold medal with Sweden in 06. So they've got the international, they've got the trophy, they got uh, the longevity, they've got a Stanley Cup final by 2020 standards. That's that's a lock for the Hall, an automatic and uh, great careers and a great ceremony last night. So I, I wanted to give him a shout out. And when we do do our toast, buddy, uh, whatever point here, I'm sure soon, I guess. Um, I'm toasting them. They uh, they deserve it for their because uh, they took a lot of abuse too, man. <laughs> they took some <laughs> they took some poundings. and uh, and and you know it reminds me a lot of Borja Salming. I mean, he was the first real Swede to to make a difference in the league. There was a you know a couple before him, mostly primarily Alf Sterner with the Rangers had a brief stint in the mid '60s, and and uh, you know Tommy Bergman came over, but uh, Boria and, and Inga Hammerstrom were the, the guys that really broke it, and uh, especially Boria. So the Sedins are kind of cut from his cloth to a degree. They're nowhere near as tough as Boria was, but they're every bit as talented. And you got to give credit where credit's due. That's a great career and uh, and a great ceremony, and they more than deserved it. And those numbers will uh, will be known forever in Vancouver for sure. Yeah, bravo, man, and just great ambassadors for the game, man, and and class acts off the ice as well too. So uh, that's uh, yeah. another unique package when you get players like that. Not only do the do the good stuff on the ice, but they're also uh, really appreciated off the ice as well. Good stuff there, Liam. All right, one more thing we'll do here before we get to the toast. We'll wrap this up a couple minutes real quick. Just get your take. Uh, the recent reports about the uh, NHL maybe going back to the Olympics. Um, I, don't oh, yeah. know if, I don't know if anybody's going to China in 2022 with, with what's going on with the, you know, the yeah. medical problems that happen over there right now. But with that aside, man, I'll, I'll take the, uh, the world cup of hockey over the Olympics anytime, but, uh, that's my take, but, uh, give us a, just a, a quick couple of thoughts there, Liam, on, uh, on them going, possibly going back to the Olympics. Yeah. Just quickly here as we wind down and get set, uh, set to, uh, to, uh, drill this whiskey into us, um, <clears throat> Well, look at, I just want best on best. Now, in my perfect world, that's best on best with NHL rules. Anything that's going to be decided by a shootout or the way they officiate, even though I can't say a lot about our own officiating after I railed on chair last night. So (laughs) it's not like the NHL officiating is really getting a lot of kudos these days anyway. But that said, um, we need a best on best, Paulie. I think it's going to be borderline criminal if we don't get Crosby and McDavid uh, Notwithstanding injuries and whatnot, uh, on, on the same lineup, while 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 Crosby still has some gas left in the tank, and that's purely from a Canadian point of view, but that's from a hockey point of view too. I think hockey fans the world over would like to see that, and I'm sure Americans would like to see uh, what would potentially be a pretty strong roster for them as well, let alone the other countries. So, I would much rather a true World Cup uh, slash Canada Cup that we had for decades as well. Don't get me wrong, I'm right there with you. But the last thing on this. Just to finish up, the IOC are finally waking up and smelling the roses here, smelling the coffee or whatever. The, the fact is, is that they have run this thing with an iron fist and saying it's our way or the highway. I think they tried to bluff the NHL in 2018 in Korea and how'd that work out for them. You got a, a C-level hockey tournament. I totally respect everybody that went and represented their country. But if anybody thought that Russia wasn't going to win that thing, and yeah, they didn't win it in a walk. But that hockey was kind of painful to watch at times, and I watched a lot of it. I was reporting on Team Canada throughout here for uh, for the CTV uh, news affiliate here in Canada. I was on four or five times doing reports that, on it. Yeah. So I can tell you, yeah, I watched every game, and and uh, and it was it was less than than thrilling hockey to say the least. But everybody that competed and and were there and were able to partake in it, I, I have the utmost respect for. But from a fan's point of view, this could only be regarded as good news. Now, if the NHL bites on this. And they turn around the side and say, yeah, okay, now we can actually monetize some of this, which they haven't been able to at this point. And you're going to pick up the ancillary dollars, which is what they, what the IOC and the WIHF should be doing, given that the NHL is shutting their business down and sending over their best assets. Yes, 100%. They should be compensated for that. At least, at the very least, having ancillary costs covered and an, and an opportunity to monetize it back in North America. So if finally the IOC and the WIHF are waking up to that, then and it appears they are, then great. Now we'll see if the NHL and the NHLPA can uh, can rectify everything ahead of time because the agreement does not expire, as we know, until September of 2022, which is seven months after Beijing. 
So there's still a few T's have to be crossed and I's be dotted. But I think for fans of international hockey, Polly, which, you know, my life was largely predicated on Henderson in 72. And I'm sure your life with Mike Arruzzioni in 1980, once you guys woke up the next morning and found out what happened, because none of you watched it live. But I did. What are you talking about? (laughs) Okay, so you're the one. You're the one. It's always great to talk to that one American that watched it live. Me and my dad watched that whole damn tournament, brother. Yeah, and you know how you watched it live? You watched it on a Canadian feed, and that's it, because it was only broadcast to about 25,000 Americans. But I'm not taking anything away from it. It's the greatest (laughs) single-game upset in sports history. It is, by far. But, you know, that's an international moment. Uh, We had our international moment, and then obviously Canada's been very fortunate. We've had many others. But the fact is, it's a great thing. And it should happen again. And so this is all good. This is all good if it's going to go down. It's all good. And uh, uh, great to see the IOC and, you know, the five rings of bribery, deceit, cheating, scandal. And, and you know, it's, it's great to see that they're finally going to get their act together and realize that, yeah, you know, they're a better, you're a better Olympics in the winter if you're going to have the NHL players. Duh! Hello! So nice to see that. They're, they're, they're going to take some time away from their collusion and bribery and cheating to make this to make these concessions and have it happen. And then, God willing, we'll get a good tournament out of it. Oh, man. But isn't everybody corrupt these days, buddy? It's part of the, <laughs> part of the baby. I'm not. You're not. Uh, yeah, well. I mean, the, the people, yeah, in, need every the people in power, buddy. The people yeah. in power. Yeah, but, uh, hey, look. Power, it, yeah, it's make good. That- it's good exactly. stuff, man, and and the insurance and the security. It's that's a big production as well, too, man. Just uh, uprooting these players and their families and of course. and get yeah. them over there. So they they got to take care. Hey, look, you know, I agree with you, brother. If they take care of it, they take care of the league and the players and everything else because that is our that's our talent. That's a, the league's talent that's going over there to showcase. Uh, of course, I mean, I joke around. I like I love the World Cup of Hockey. But um, obviously, yeah, best on best is always the uh, the greatest thing to see. So I'm with you there, pal. Hopefully they work it out one or the other. But China's got yeah. their own issues right now <laughs> before they have anybody coming. No, they, they do, and, and health notwithstanding. But, you know, yeah. like they needed to be in Sochi. You know, Gary Bettman, Bill Daly, the NHL waited till the 11th hour to say they were going, yet we all knew they were going. I, I, I think that was posturing just to say, you know what, there's just a small, small chance, you know, uh, Rennie and, uh, you know, Samarash, whatever the hell their names are, that we may not, you know, there's a small chance. We all knew they were going. And then they went, and and, uh, and so be it. And, you know, and, and Crosby had to console Malkin for three weeks after because they got beat <laughs> out and they couldn't win squat. They haven't won squat since 92, and they never will again in our lifetime. But that's okay. That said, you know, now they realize that they've got to play ball here. This isn't, you know, this isn't just, no, it's not our way of the highway. Like in 2006 in Torino in Italy when they had the NHL guys playing on rinks that you wouldn't see a men's league team play on. The ice was so bad in the middle of the day. The way they jerked them around, unfreaking believable So now they understand. It's taken a while, but now they understand that they got to play nice and play fair and, and, and just park their corruption. They're still going to make their millions. And they'll have all sorts of juice on the side and they're lining up the pockets. But at the end of the day, we'll get to see hopefully a great hockey tournament. And, uh, and that's, what we, that's what we want. We want to see our guys not only play for our respective clubs, but play for our countries because it is unbelievably diverse. You've got so many great players from so many great countries. And, yeah, Canada's always going to be favored. We know that. But that aside, we don't win all the time. In all the time. No, but no, for sure, right, Polly? I mean, we didn't win in, in, in 81. We didn't win in 96. We didn't win in 98. And we didn't win in 2006. And we've won every other single time. But, you know, it's uh, it, it notwithstanding that, everybody else would step up to the plate, whether it's today, tomorrow, next year, or 2022. And a lot of countries would say, hold on to your horses. We've got a shot here. And they do. And they more, and they do, for sure. And I think it would be a great tournament, and we need to see it. So this is good news. This is good news. Absolutely. All right, brother, let's wind this uh, show up here. Uh, let's do the toast of the week uh, or toast of the day. I tell you what, um, I'll, I'll just do a quick one here. I want to just toast to uh, Jay Bo Meester and his family there and the little scare they had last night, uh, him on the bench oh, yeah. collapsing, and uh, you know they had to cancel the rest of the game, which I think was a good thing. But uh, word is is that he's uh, he's up and alert and he's uh, recovering. You never want to see that. You know, never want to see that in any 
any form of, uh, you know, daily life. But, uh, you know, when you're watching sports, you, you don't really see it. It's not something you're used to seeing, and it uh, was a little scary there. And, you know, all of us who've, uh, you know, just been on the ice, you take the, the big game away from it, just being on the ice with your buds, you know, and, and just playing and stuff, and just seeing somebody drop like that just must have been just terrifying to uh, to witness. So uh, I'll raise a glass to him. Jay, get back on the ice, and, and uh, good luck to him. And, and uh, that's that's my toast of the day, toast of the week for Jay. Well, I'm I'm going to echo that for sure, and and uh, toast Jay. I want to also uh, I want to also toast the Sedins uh, and uh, congratulate them on on the retirement of the jerseys, the hockey sweaters last night, twenty two and thirty three. But uh, to Jay for sure, and uh, that's uh, so such great news to hear that uh, he's on the road to recovery, and uh, God willing, leads a long and healthy and long lasting life. He's through obviously the majority of his career, so it's not a question of that. And uh, I'm sure he's everything's good that way. But I mean, just to uh, just to have him in health, good health, at least at this point right now, what they're saying, it's so good to hear Polly for sure. So good on you, pal, for throwing that up there. And let's get this uh, Jameson's into us right now. Here we go. There you go. Send it back. Get it in you. Woo. Ah, giddy. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> nice. nice and warm there in the gizzard. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, once again, thanks so much for listening to Sticks and Taps every Thursday. We're going to take a break next week. We'll win the break, uh, and then we'll be back at it afterwards. The trade deadline's coming up, so I can't wait to hear Liam's take on what uh, changes and who goes and who stays. But, Liam, love you, brother. Great talking to you. I'll take care of this tab, and I'll take care of the next few. (laughs) Have a great day, buddy. (laughs) Sounds good, Polly. I'll catch you on the flip side. You have a great trip next week with the family, buddy, and and we'll stay in touch, of course, and uh, we'll catch everybody in two weeks here on Sticks and Taps. Get eight. Cheers. Slot, everybody.